question, what are your favorite summer shoes? What you been wearing this summer? Are you a sandal person? Are you a croc person? Are you a, a sneaker person? Are you a, a boat shoe person? Maybe you're a fish flop person. Yeah, I, I said fish flop, not flip flop. Fish flops are quite a trend this year. It's literally like a, like a foam flip-flop that looks like a fish. You look like you're wearing a big orange goldfish or a silver mackerel on your foot. Now, why in the world have fish flops been popular this year? Well, journalist Bettina Michalintel reached out to Colleen Kirk. Colleen is a professor, associate professor of marketing at the New York Institute of Technology. And this is what Professor Kirk said. Research has shown that when control is taken away from us in one domain, we try to exert it in other domains. The idea would be that since we've had a, a lack of control in recent months, that, that we exert that sense of control into something else, namely here, shopping for fish flops. In other words, when things are uh, sane, when things are, are stable, we might not be so quick to go buy some fish flops. But when there's insanity and instability all over the place, we say to the world, hey, you know what? You're not going to tread on me. I'm going to tread on you with some fish flops. We're going to do it. Or as Bettina went on to say, keep calm and fish flop on. You know, there's a lot of truth, though, in what Professor Kirk said. We don't like losing control. We don't like when we don't have control or when control is taken away from us. When it is, we try to exert it somewhere else. Kind of like when the weather changes, we pull off our Ugg boots and we pull on our fish flops. In the same way, when, when something's taken away from us, when it's pulled away from us, we, we put something else on. We exert that control in some way. I had a young mother tell me recently, you know, it's, it's not like we can really yell and get mad at the stores or the restaurants for the new rules they've set up. And so what we do is we take our, our yelling and our anger and we exert it toward the government and toward the schools and toward the churches because those are places we feel like we can exert some more rights over, exert some more control. But is there a better way? I mean, is there a, a better way than that? Is there a better way to, to put something off and then to put something on? Is there a, a better way to do life right now that doesn't create as much stress and anger and frustration and aggravation and fear and annoyance and, and weight gain or hair loss? I mean, is there another way we could be doing life right now? Is there another thing we could be putting on? Yes, there is. Let's see if we can find out what it is. Turning our attention again to Paul's letter to the folks at Corinth. Our sermon series again is what the world needs now. And Paul is going to help us find that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 6. The Apostle Paul says this. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love is the better way. Now, somebody might be thinking... Love, really? 
That's what we need right now, a bunch of mamby-pamby love. Because love, love doesn't solve anything. Love doesn't fix anything. Love doesn't put food on the table. Love doesn't pay the bills. Love doesn't fix the economy. Love doesn't fix the government. Love doesn't get my kid back in school. Love doesn't get football back on the field. Love. Come on. This is what Jesus said. John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As someone has said, love is the trademark of a Christian. The trademark. So, yes, we can rail against the notion that what the world really needs is love. And and we can rant against the notion that love has any ability to fix the government or the economy. But if we rail and rant in those ways consistently, no one will know by our words or our life that we are Christians. They won't see it. They won't hear it. They won't know it. Because all we're doing is railing and ranting. Now, that doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be healthy debate on government policy and economics. Because there does. And that doesn't mean that there won't be hard decisions that have to be made that many people will say, well, that's just unloving. Because those decisions sometimes have to be made. What it means is this, that if you profess to follow Jesus, if you profess to be a Christian, if you profess to be a member of a local church, then there has to be some tangible, visible evidence that somewhere in your life, the primary trademark of your life is love. It's got to be seen. Now, we're, we're not talking about perfection, okay? The kind of love that Paul's talking about here, it's not intimate love, it's not family love, it's not friend love, it's, it's what's known as agape love. Agape love is this self-denying love. It keeps loving even when love is rejected. And look, none of us are perfect at agape love. Not by a far stretch. We all struggle. As I've said before, when I look back over the last 30 days, I'm a little nervous when I consider that it's very possible that I have more days of a grumpy love than agape love. But, but it's just some days. It's, it's not the last 30. See, I'm going to have my moments, and you're going to have your moments. But what's the pattern? What's the pattern of our life? What do people see in us the most? What do people hear from us the most? What do people read from us on social media the most? What's the pattern in our lives? We can't be perfect, but it matters how we live. It matters. Paul says this. He says, love is the better way because love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's see if we can break it down a little bit. First of all, to rejoice. To rejoice in something means what? It means that that you enjoy, you take pleasure in something. It it means that, that you root for something to happen or you cheer for something when it happens. Love does not 
take pleasure in, enjoy, root for, or cheer for unrighteousness. And what's unrighteousness? Well, we could say it this way. It's sin, it's evil, it's injustice, it's wrongdoing. Now, most people would go with us on that, right? I mean, how many people are going to say, yeah, let's cheer on some evil. Yeah, let's root for injustice. I mean, are we not sadly seeing that a little bit more in our culture and our society right now? I mean, why would someone cheer on injustice? Why would someone cheer on evil or wrongdoing? Well, it could be a lot of reasons. It could be laziness or apathy, nothing better to do. It, it could be annoyance or, or anger or frustration or revenge. For instance, let's say you own a cupcake shop and your rival cupcake store has someone break in and the baker at that cupcake store, everybody knows, is a huge jerk to everybody. So somebody breaks into the store, burns it to the ground. You might, as the rival, be tempted to rejoice in that unrighteousness. Or, say a coach from your rival team gets arrested for some kind of illegal sports gambling. You, you might be tempted to rejoice in that unrighteousness. Or maybe you, the rival political candidate of your party is caught in, in some type of immoral relationship. You might be tempted to rejoice in that unrighteousness. And, and here's what it sounds like in our minds. What it sounds like is, <laughs> they got what they deserve. Yeah, they, they got what they deserve. Love, agape love, Christian love, does not move in that direction. It doesn't doesn't chase after those thoughts. Why? Well, let's, let's play out some scenarios. Imagine that the cupcake store, when it was burning down, one of the firemen that came to, to put the fire out, he got injured. And he had to go to the hospital. And he was in the hospital for weeks, and he missed his daughter's wedding. Now, if, if that's true and you're a Christian, does the world and your friends really need to hear you rant that the cupcake store owner got what he deserved. Now, someone might say, well, look, I'm, I'm not rejoicing in what happened to that fireman. I'm not rejoicing in what happened to his daughter. I'm, I'm rejoicing that my rival might have to go out of business. Well, I'm sure when that daughter is standing behind you in line at the coffee shop, six feet away, and you're on your phone, and you're ranting about how that jerk baker got what he deserved, I'm sure she'll be able to filter in that you don't mean anything bad about her dad or her. Or what about the coach? You're at the pro shop and you're hanging out with your golf buddies and you tell them you're ranting. You're like, man, that guy, he got what he deserves because you know what? My rival team, they're nothing but a bunch of cheaters and I've known it for years. But what if that coach is a single dad? His wife died years ago, and he was the only income for the family. His kids had no idea what he was up to. And all of a sudden, they're without income because their dad's in jail. Now, someone might say, well, look, I'm, I'm not rejoicing in what happened to those kids. I'm rejoicing in the fact that my rival team might get put on probation. 
Well, I'm sure that coach's teenage son, when he's standing in the pro shop waiting to interview for a cart cleaning job, and he hears you ranting that his dad got what he deserved because that team is a bunch of cheaters, I'm sure he'll be able to filter in that you don't mean anything bad about him and his two little sisters. And what about the candidate? You're posting and and reposting every article you possibly can find on their immorality. And every time you repost it, you, you put a little note that says, these idiots got what they deserve. But what if that was true? If that's true, what if the mother of the other person in the immoral relationship didn't know what was going on, and they happened to be one of your friends on social media? If you're a Christian and that's true, do you, do you really need to be posting and reposting over and over again about that immoral unrighteousness? And again, someone might say, well, look, I'm, I'm not rejoicing over what happened to that mother. I'm, I'm rejoicing that my candidate might have to drop out of the race because of all this. And, and anyway, you know, she should probably stay off of social media for a few days anyway. I'm sure... Weeks later, when you're still reposting articles about that immorality, that that mother is going to be able to filter in that you don't mean anything bad about her. Those are some scenarios. Sure, they're they're made up. But, you know, slandering is slandering. Now, someone might say, well, slandering? I'm not slandering. You know, that... That information about that candidate, man, it's, it's true. That information about that coach, it's, it's true. It's interesting, when the Bible uses the word slander, the definition means that you deliberately communicate information designed to harm someone else. In other words, in the pro shop or the beauty shop or the coffee shop or on your social media feed, true gossip is still gossip still the same this is what Jesus said Matthew chapter 12 for from within out of the heart of a man proceed the evil thoughts fornications thefts murders adulteries deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit sensuality envy slander pride and foolishness all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man now Defile doesn't sound like a word you want on your resume. Doesn't sound like it's moving in a good place. Love, agape love, Christian love does not slander. It avoids that. Now someone might say, well look, even even if someone overheard me in the coffee shop or in the pro shop, unless unless I'm wearing a t-shirt from my church, I mean, they're they're not going to know that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be harming my witness because they won't even know that I'm a Christian. I just chew on that for a second and then consider these words. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. What do we do with that? We can't run away from it. Now, someone might be thinking, man, I, <laughs> I don't like your examples, man. You, you need to steer away from this stuff. These scenarios, I don't like them. They're making me uncomfortable. It sounds like you're trying to take away my right to free speech. Listen, if you're a Christian, you don't have free speech. Yeah, let that sit for a sec. Why? Because your speech 
your words, your ability to breathe has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And if that is true, then because of what has been done for us, we step into our words and our posts wisely. We choose to think and consider about what we're going to say and what we're going to do and how we're going to act. Again, we aren't talking about perfection. None of us are going to be there. Our actions, our words, our posts, they're never going to be perfect. But all of us could use a, a little bit of checks and balances in life at any given time. Here's, here's one way. Before we say what we're going to say in the coffee shop or the pro shop or the beauty shop or wherever we may be, before we post what we post, maybe we just check ourselves a little bit and say, hey, can I say this to the glory of God? Can I, can I post this to the glory of God? If, if I say this or I post this, will it direct people in some way toward God or will it distract people from God? A little checks and balances would be helpful for us. As we consider that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. And if that's true, we can take an extra second before we click that post. We can take an extra second before we say that word. It's not easy. Goodness, it's not easy. It's, it's crazy hard. But I think when we look at the cross, I think it's fair enough for us to say it's, it's worth us trying in view of what Jesus has done. Love, agape love, Christian love, does not rejoice in unrighteousness or or sin or evil or injustice or wrongdoing. It, It just doesn't do it. But listen, this is still a struggle for us. I mean, the whole notion of of us talking about love in these days, it 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 kind of bristles against us a little bit. You know, in some ways, it's kind of like the t-shirt I saw the other day that said this, Yay sports, I just want both teams to have fun. (laughs) Or maybe you're thinking along the lines of philosopher, um, I got to get his name right, A. Dupree Tippin, that's just Aaron Tippin, who said, hey, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Listen, love this agape love is not saying you can't have convictions. It's not saying you can't stand for things. Have convictions. Stand for things. Agape love is simply saying this. It's not challenging your convictions. It's challenging the conduct of your convictions. How are you living out your convictions? How are you living out what you're standing for? Someone might still be struggling. They're like, look, man, I, that's just not how I was raised. Look, I, I can't hear this stuff about love and say, well, well love is going to fix the problems in our world right now. Again, we all have a choice. Every one of us, we have a choice. We can take up our cross and follow after Jesus, or we can take up our political agenda or our social agenda or our theological agenda and we can try to fit the cross into it. At the end of the day, whatever we choose to do, we, we can ignore or reject these words from Jesus, but ultimately we cannot avoid them. This is what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, let me just say this, all of us are not going to hear, which is sad. 
we're not going to hear Jesus. Let me just say, let me confess for some of us. We don't want to hear Jesus. Like, we don't. We, we don't want to do what Jesus is asking us to do because it will require us to change, and we don't, we don't want to change. Jesus said this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Man, that, that truth just, it works against our feelings. And it, it sticks in our craw a little bit. But here's the thing. That truth is exactly how Jesus has designed for us to be a part of changing the world. But those words from Jesus. Love, agape love, Christian love, does not rejoice in sin and unrighteousness and evil and injustice and wrongdoing. It doesn't rejoice in those things. So what does it rejoice in? If, if the notion here is that we have to pull off this unrighteous worship, this cheering on of the unrighteous, what are we supposed to put on? What are we supposed to rejoice in? Paul tells us, last part of verse 6, that love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. But the word here for truth is, is meant to be the exact opposite word of unrighteous. In other words, what love rejoices in is that which is good and true and right. So let's revisit our scenarios for a second. What if the, the cupcake store owner, your rival, decides to have a blood drive and 40 people donate blood. They get 40 pints of blood. You're not going to say, what a show off. No, you're going to rejoice that 40 people have the opportunity to have their lives saved because of those donations. That's how Christian love thinks and talks and acts. What about the coach? What if the, the rival team decides to have a, a fundraiser to raise money to help those kids out? You're not going to say, crooks helping crooks. No, you're going to rejoice that those children are going to have food on the table. Christian love thinks and talks and acts like that. What about the candidate? What if the candidate... He co-sponsors a, a bill that protects the lives of mothers and their preborn children. Are you going to say, he's grandstanding, just trying to get some conservative votes before November? No. You're going to say, man, praise God that those mothers and their preborn babies have just received a moment of hope. See, Christian love thinks talks and acts like that. Now look, I'm not saying that stuff's easy. It ain't easy for me. It's, it's difficult. But, but it is how Christian love functions. And so the question is, do you have this agape love? Do you have this Christian love? Is this love seen in your life? Do you hunger and thirst for this truth that Paul writes about? Or do you hunger and thirst and rant and rave and demand your version 
of the truth. Brenda Jung once said this, Few pursuits in life are more important than the pursuit of truth. What one believes to be true, especially about God, humanity, and the relation between them, will govern one's entire life, thoughts, affections, attitudes, actions, desires, and decisions. That's, That's very true. So, what do you believe in? What do you believe to be true? What do you believe to be ultimately true? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about humanity? What do you believe about the relationship between them? Because what you believe about that affects every single thing in your life. You know, one of the phrases that we are thinking and and saying and and reading in different articles and hearing on the radio and on TV is, is, is phrases that go something like this. This isn't the America I know. This isn't the America that I grew up in. And you know what? Everything behind those statements is true. All of it. Yes, America is angering and and aggravating and and frustrating. It's stressful. It's frightening. It's, It's scary. But this is the America we live in. So as believers, we have a couple of choices. We can unceasingly rant about unrighteousness. Or we can fight the good fight and try a little harder to rejoice in the truth. Jesus died that we would rejoice, not rant. Jesus died, gave his life so that we might pursue and love the truth and not look at unrighteousness and say, yeah, they got what they deserve. What do you believe is ultimately true? Everything kind of falls in in that category. In a few hours, he was going to be arrested, tortured, and brutally executed. And he knew it. He knew all those things were going to happen. And so what do we find Jesus doing before that? Is he meeting with his lawyer, working his defense up? Is he moving his money to offshore accounts and catching a private plane to a tropical island? No, he's, he's waiting for his arresters. He's, he's waiting for them. And while he's waiting, he's praying for his closest friends. And this is part of what he prays. John 17. Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Sanctify, purify, consecrate them, separate them for yourself, make them holy in the truth. And then Jesus prayed this, Father, their interpretation of tomorrow's COVID statistics is the truth. Nah, that's not what he prayed. Now, Jesus then prayed this. Father, this week's talk radio shows are the truth. Nah, that's not what he prayed. He, he prayed this. Father, this week's Twitter feeds are the truth. Nah, I didn't pray that either. What he really prayed was, Father, this November's elections, that's the truth. No. Jesus prayed, Father, Help 
them see that your word is truth. Ultimate, final, absolute, satisfying, loving, gracious, merciful truth. Father, your word, your character is truth. That's how Jesus prayed for his friends. And we have every reason to believe in Scripture that's how he's praying for us right now. Listen, analyze the statistics, look at the statistics, follow the statistics. Tune in to talk radio. Surf Twitter quotes. Campaign and, 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 and vote or run for office. Eat maple bacon donuts. Take medication. Watch Netflix. Do whatever you're going to do. When we talk about love and, and loving truth, we're not trying to create some unnecessary legalism that says you can't do anything, nor are we trying to create some unnecessary liberalism that says do whatever you want. The picture we have from Scripture simply says this, that whatever you choose to do in life, don't let any of those things that I mentioned ever convince you that they are ultimate truth, because they're not. God is God, and there is no other. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is holy, holy, holy. He is good and He does good. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is merciful. His salvation is the only salvation. And no matter who is president or king or queen or general or coach or husband or wife or any other title that we want to use in life, no matter who may have any type of earthly authority in our life, the reality will never disappear that our lives are a mist, a breath, a vapor. But God's kingdom is forever. And he has given us the Bible as a way for us to stay close to his ways until Jesus returns. And that is truth. That's truth. And so do you know that truth? Are you loving that truth? Are you taking that truth and holding it over the statistics, holding it over the medications, holding it over the elections, holding it over the vacations? Are you taking the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, and making it your ultimate defining absolute truth over every moment in life? If so, then go live life to the fullest. Go to work, go to school, eat some donuts. I mean, do, do what you do. And do it all to the glory of God. Now, someone might say, well, that's cute. It sounds kind of pie in the sky. But it sounds like you're, you're just saying this love stuff is supposed to fix everything. And don't worry about everything else going on in the world. No, I'm not saying that at all. But like you, I'm, I'm trying to stay fully engaged. But let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that? the interpretation of the statistics or the medication or the vacation or the election will save you from sin and make the world right? Do you really believe that? 
G.K. Chesterton said this, a child of seven is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door and saw a dragon. But a child of three is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door. So what, we're just supposed to act like a bunch of three-year-olds? No, don't, don't miss the picture here. In the time of all of our lives, when we were not completely wrapped up and distracted with all the things in the world, we were cool with the simple facts. We just needed to know that Tommy went through a door. We didn't need the dragon. In other words, we we were satisfied with what was real. Listen, I, I graciously and boldly communicate to you that whatever you see in the news, hear on the radio, read on social media, feel in your heart and mind over the next seven days, the love and grace and mercy and power and authority of Jesus Christ is real. It's real. And this is what Jesus said. Blessed, happy, satisfied, content, favored, to be envied are those people who hunger and thirst not for unrighteousness, not to gloat about what somebody might deserve, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Satisfied. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness or injustice or evil or sin or wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Why? Why does love do that? Love does that because love knows that the grace and the mercy and the power and the authority and the truth and the love of Jesus are the only way you will ever be satisfied. Listen to the simplicity of that again. The love and truth of Jesus is the only thing that will ever satisfy your soul. So, let's love. And let's love 